Chapter Forty Nine of Mystery of the Sea. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Chris Pyle. Mystery of the Sea by Bram Stoker. Chapter Forty Nine. Gormala's Last Help. After Gormala had disappeared down the zigzag under the rock where i could no longer see her movements i waited for her to return at the end of the haven where the little beach runs up the edge of the cliff there is a steep path even this is so steep that it is impractical for ordinary persons only fisher folk dalesmen and hunters can use such ways for myself i dare not leave my post from the end of the haven i could not see any part at all of the coast i had come to watch except the narrow spot between great cliffs where the channels ran right and left of the rock of dunby so i crept back to my hiding-place behind the angle of the wall from which i could watch the entrance to the track down which she had passed time wore away slowly slowly and the mist kept coming in more frequent belts heavier and more dank after the sunset the fog seemed to come more heavily still so that the promise of the night was darkness invincible in aberdeen however the twilight is long and under ordinary conditions it is easy to see for hours after sunset all at once after the passing of a belt of mist i was startled by a voice behind me and for what is it ye watch in it is it the mystery or a seed it holds ye to the dyke or maybe it is the treasure that ye seek gormala had evidently come up the path at the end of the haven for a while i did not say a word but thought the matter over now if ever was there a need to use my wits and i could best deal with gormala if i should know something of her own wishes beforehand so i tried to master her purpose and her difficulties firstly she must have been in search of some hiding-place herself or she would not have come behind the wall I am quite sure that she had not known of my presence before she went down the sheep-track. If she wanted cover, what then was it she was watching? She had been down to the beach of the haven, and so must have known whether or no it was bare of interest. As she was choosing a corner, when she could watch the track, it was at least likely that she expected someone to go up or down by it. If she were looking for someone to go down, she would surely rather watch its approaches than the place itself. It was, therefore, for someone to come up for whom she wished to watch. As, instead of hurrying away or hiding herself from me, when she had seen me without my seeing her, she had deliberately engaged with me in conversation. It was evident that she did not expect whomever she watched for to come up at once. In fine, I concluded, she intended to watch for someone who might come, with this knowledge i drew a bow at a venture so your friend isn't coming up yet why didn't you fix matters when you were down below for an instant she was betrayed into showing astonishment the surprise was in both her expression and in the tones of her voice as she replied how kint ye that i was doomed to haven then she saw her mistake and went on with a scowl thy clever ye are with ye guesses and a daft old wife am i to no kin ye better why did did you find him down below even whilst i was speaking the conviction came to me i scarcely know how but it was there as though deep root in my brain all of my life 
that our enemies were down below, or that they had some hiding place there. Guatemala must have seen the change in my face, for she exclaimed with jubilation, It would have been better for ye that ye had taken my service. The een that watched others micked had been watching to your will. But it's a hour de new. What secret there was is yours name mare, and it may be war for ye that ye flouted me in the day's goon. As she spoke, the bitterness of her manner was beyond belief. The past rushed back on me so fiercely that I groaned. Then came again, but with oh what pain, the thought of my dear one in the hands of her enemies. Let no man question the working of the Almighty's hand. In that moment of the ecstasy of pain, something had spoken to the heart of the old woman beside me. For when I came back to myself, they were different eyes which looked into mine. They were soft and full of pity. All of the motherhood which ever had been, or might have been, and that lonely soul was full awake. It was with a tender voice that she questioned me. Ye are muckle sad, laddie. Do I no keen a look like that when I spirit, and know that the fates are to their work? What max she greet, laddie? What max she greet? For by this time the revulsion of tenderness had been too much for me, and I was openly weeping. Is it that lassie is gone for ye? We like in that nan, but a lassie can make a man grit. I felt that the woman's heart was open to me, and spoke with all the passion of my soul. Oh, Gormala, help me. Perhaps you can, and may not be too late. She is stolen away and is in the hands of her enemies, wicked and desperate men who have her prisoner on a ship somewhere out at sea. Her life, her honor are at stake. Help me if you can, and I will bless you to the last hour of my life. The old woman's face actually blazed as I spoke. She seemed to tower up in the full of her gaunt height to the stature of her woman's pride, as with her blazing eyes she answered me. What? A woman? A lassie? In the hands of wicked men? Aye, and Sichibani grand lasses yon, though she did flout me in the pride of her youth and strength. Laddie, I'm with ye in all ye can day. Whether the strength of my heart and the breath of my body, for life or for death, never mind the past. Bad or good for me it is o'er, and fray this oot I'm to your work. Tell me what I can do, and the grass will no grow under my feet, a bonny bit lassie in the power of wicked men. I may have been o'er eager to win your secret, but I'm no that bad to let aught sick come between me and the duty to which is pure and good. She seemed grand and noble in her self-surrender, such a figure as the poets of the old sagas may have seen in their dreams, when the type of noble old womanhood was in their hearts, in the times when the northern nations were dawning. I was quite overcome. I could not speak. I took her hand and kissed it. This seemed to touch her to the quick. With a queer little cry she gasped out, Oh, laddie, laddie, and said no more. Then I told her of how Marjorie had been carried off by the blackmail gang. I felt that she was entitled to this confidence. When I had spoken, she beat with her shut hand on the top of a wall and said in a smothered way, Ouch! If I but kint, if I but kint, to think 
that i might have been watching him instead of spearing round yon hoose o yours watching you wring your secret frae ye and aiding your enemies in their work first the outland man with the dark hair and then them along with the black man with the evil face that such ye did it gone why is me was me that i had done harm to in the frenzy of my lust and greed and curiosity she took on so badly that i tried to comfort her i succeeded to a measure when i had pointed out that the carrying off of marjorie was altogether a different matter from what had gone on in my house suddenly she stopped rocking herself to and fro holding up one long gaunt arm as i had seen her do several times before she said but what matters it after me we are in the hands of fate and there are voices that speak in that sea what is ordered of old will be done for true no matter how we may try to work our own will tis little use to kick against the pricks then all at once she became brisk and alert in a most practical tone of voice she said no tell me what i can do will i kin that ye have plan o' your own and that you and others are working to an end that ye have set ye have one either with ye the nicked for good or ill she paused and i asked her why did you go down the sheep path to the haven for what or for whom were you looking i was looking for the treasure that i suspect was taken frae your hoose and for them that took it twas i that guided them after the dark man had gone and watched whiles they were within then they sent me on a lang errand away to elon and when i got back there was nane there i speared close and saw the marks of a cat heavy loading it was lost on the high road and since then nicked and day how i sought for any trace but all in vain but i'm thinking that it's nigh to here they've hid it i went down to use rudy and along the rock and up the bit beach but ne'er a sign did i see there's a many corners aboot the crags here where a muckle treasure might lie hid and name the wiser save them the pit it there while she was talking i was scribbling a line in my pocket-book i tore out the page and handed it to her if you would help me take that letter for i must not leave here give it to the dark gentleman whom you know by sight he is somewhere on the rocks beyond the castle my message was to tell don bernardo that i believed the treasure was hidden somewhere near me and that the bearer of the note would guide him if he thought wise to join me then i waited waited the night grew darker and darker and the fog belts came so thick and so heavy that they almost became one endless mass only now and again could i get a glimpse of the sea outside the great rock once far off at sea but floating in on the wind i heard eight bells sound from a ship my heart beat at the thought for if the keystone were close at hand it might be well for us later on then there was silence long and continuous a silence which was of the night alone every now and again when some sound of life from near or far came to break its monotony the reaction became so marked that silence seemed to be a positive quality all at once i became conscious that gormala was somewhere near me 
I could not see her. I could not hear her. But it was no surprise to me when, through the darkness, I saw her coming close to me, followed by Don Bernardo. They both looked colossal through the mist. As quickly as I could, I told the Don of my suspicions and asked his advice. He agreed with me as to the probabilities of the attempt to escape and announced his willingness to go down the path to Dunby Haven and explore it thoroughly so far as was possible. Accordingly, with Gormala to guide him, he went to the end of the haven and descended the steep moraine. It was a declension rather than a path. For myself, I was not sanguine as to a search. The night was now well on us, and even had the weather been clear, it would have been a difficult task to make search in such a place, where the high cliffs all around shut out the possibilities of side-light. Moreover, along the haven, as with other such openings on this iron-bound coast, there were patches of outlying rock under the cliffs. Occasionally these were continuous, so that at the proper state of the tide a fairly good climber can easily make way among them. Here, however, there was no such continuity. The rocks rising from the sea close under the cliffs were in patches. Without a boat it would be useless to attempt a complete exploration. I waited, however, calmly. I was gaining patience now out of my pain. A good while elapsed before the dawn returned, still accompanied by Gormala. He told me that only the beach had been possible for examination, but as far as he could see out by either channel, there was no sign of anyone hiding, or any bulk which could be such as we sought. He considered it might be advisable if he went to warn the rest of our party of our belief as to the place appointed, and so took his way up north. Gormala remained with me, so as to be ready, to take any message, if occasion required. She looked tired, so tired and weary that I made her lie down behind the rough wall. For myself, sleep was an impossibility. I could not have slept had my life or sanity depended on it. To soothe her and put her mind at rest, I told her what she had always wanted to know, what I had seen that night at Winifold when the dead came up from the sea. That quieted her, and she soon slept. So I waited and waited, and the time crept slowly away. All at once Gormala sat up beside me, broad awake, with all her instincts at her keenest. Wish, she said, holding a warning hand. At this moment the fog-belt was upon us, and on the wind, now risen high, the white wreaths swept by like ghosts. She held her ear as before towards seaward and listened intently. This time there could be no mistake. From far off through the dampness of the fog came the sound of a passing ship. I ran out from behind the wall and threw myself face down at the top of the cliff. I was just at the angle of the opening of the haven, and I could see if a boat entered by either channel. Gormala came beside me and peered over. Then she whispered, I shall gang doon the huge roadie. It brings me to the haven's booth. And pray thence I can warn ye, if there be aught. Before I replied, she had flitted away, and I saw her pass over the edge of the cliff and proceed on her perilous way. I leaned over the edge of the cliff, listening. Down below, I heard now and again the sound of a falling pebble dislodged from the path, but I could see nothing whatever. Below me, the black water showed now and again in the lifting of the fog. The track outwards leads down to the sea at the southern corner of the opening of the haven. So I moved on here to see if I could get any glimpse of Gormala. The fog was now on in a dense mass, 
and I could see nothing a couple of feet from me. I heard, however, a sort of scramble, the rush and roll of stones tumbling, and the hollow reverberating plash as they struck the water. My heart jumped, for I feared that some accident might have happened to Gormala. I listened intently, but heard no sound. I did not stay, however, for I knew that the whole effort of the woman engaged on such a task would be to avoid betraying herself. I was right in my surmise, for after a few minutes of waiting, I heard a very faint groan. It was low and suppressed, but there was no mistaking it as it came up to me through the driving mist. It was evident that Gormala was in some way in peril, and common humanity demanded that I should go down to help her if I could. It was no use my attempting the sheep track. If she had failed on it, there would not be much chance of my succeeding. Besides, there had been a manifest slip or landslide, and more than probably the path, or some necessary portion of it, had been carried away. It would have been madness to attempt it, so I went to the southern side of the cliff, where the rock was broken, and where there was a sort of rugged path down to the sea. There was also an advantage about this way. I could see straight out to sea to the south of Dunbury Rock. Thus I need not lose sight of any shore-coming boat which might happen were I on the other path which opened only in the haven. It was a hard task, and by daylight I might have found it even more difficult. In parts it actually overhung the water with an effect of dizziness, which was in itself dangerous. However, I persevered, and presently got down on the cluster of rocks overhung by the cliff, here at the very corner of the opening to the haven, under the spot where the sheep-track led down, I found Gormala almost unconscious. She revived a little when I lifted her and put my flask to her lips. For a few seconds she leaned gasping against my breast with her poor thin gray hair straggling against it. Then, with a great effort, she moaned out feebly, but of intention keeping her voice low, lest even in that lone spot, amid the darkness of the night and the mist, there might be listeners. I'm doomed this time, laddie. The rocks have broke me. When the roadie gave way, listen to me, I'm aboot to die, and the secrets and the mysteries will be mine soon. When the end is coming, hold both my hands, in an of yours, and keep the other, o oh, my een. Then, when I'm passing, ye shall see what my dead eyes see, and hear with the power of my dead ears. Mayhap too, laddie, you may ken the secrets and the wishes of my head. Do not lose your chance, laddie. God be with ye, and the blonde lass. Tell her, and ye will, that I forgie her flouting me, and that I bade the good God keep her frae all harm, and send peace and happiness to ye both till the end. God forgive me all my sins. As she was speaking, her life seemed slowly ebbing away. I could feel it, and I knew it in many ways. As I took her hand in mine, a glad smile was on her face, together with a look of eager curiosity. This was the last thing I saw in the dim light, as my hand covered her filming eyes, and then a strange and terrible thing began to happen. End of chapter 49 Recording by Chris Pyle